evening, everyone. Welcome, listeners. This is your host, Frederica, and you are listening to Contemporary Issues in Management Week 5. Tonight, we're discussing emotional intelligence, self-awareness, building sources of power in an organization, ensuring a better outcome, and potential dangers of satisficing. Let's get going. Question number 13 from chapter 13. Research on emotional intelligence has consistently demonstrated that as individuals advance in their careers, their self-awareness tends to decrease. Why do you think self-awareness decreases as individuals gain positions of greater authority? Achieving some level of self-awareness and emotional awareness is an accomplishment towards self-improvement as it is an evidence of emotionally intelligent growth, otherwise known as EI. EI is necessary for personal and professional development, their ability for a person to, quote, self-monitor or, quote, manage oneself is to acknowledge and accept certain qualities about themselves like strengths, weaknesses, emotional triggers, and so on, which allows them to understand indications of how they will interact with others, like in a group setting, co-workers or teams, or working one-on-one with a client or a peer. As noted in our Cengage video for Chapter 13, the acronym CANU stands for conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience and extroversion. Canoe can be a helpful tool for recognizing and understanding various qualities in others or yourself and configure a balance among the team that allows everyone an opportunity to offer their strengths or avoid any negative qualities. But what happens when there isn't a balance shared among staff or if leaders don't actively make improvements among the team to weed out negative behavior. Let's say Bob is starting a new job. He's fresh out of grad school with 10 years of experience in his field, and he has a great sense of self-awareness. He takes interest in improving his own emotional intelligence as well. But after two years of being with this company, he feels unsupported by leadership. There are, quote, negative Nancys on his team, and conflict is an expected norm among staff. Bob is a manager now for his staff, but regardless of his suggestions to leadership to improve workplace dynamics, they remain unheard because there is a set corporate culture which perpetuates negativity. Bob is left feeling unmotivated. This would be an example of why someone would lose self-awareness as they move up in authority. According to Gulati, Mayo, and Noria on page 350, uh, there's an included table, table 13.5, which demonstrates a balanced tally of the, quote, adversity response hierarchy. There are five response strategy categories, a brief description of each, and then a percentage of time used for each strategy. At the bottom of each percentage is a total of 100%, indicating the total amount of time focused in all strategy areas. The goal is to achieve, quote, resilience, 
which is the belief that one can control or adapt to certain events and outcomes and be able to bounce back from difficulty. Avoiding, survive, coping, manager, harness. So these are those that are included in this table. Avoiding to deny or dodge adversity, postpone addressing it. Survive, to simply try to make it through and come out alive. Coping, to find ways to work through the underlying problems and deal with the negative toll. Manager, to actively use some tools or strategies to work with adversity. And harness, to convert adversity into fuel to propel learning, growth, and achievement. Imbalance in one's response to adversity could lead to too much investment in one or multiple negative areas. Ultimately, having a horrible effect on work, workplace morale, and in Bob's case, can lead to burnout and loss of enthusiasm. For example, if Bob eventually spends more time coping, avoiding, and surviving because the dominating workplace culture is unhealthy, he will eventually lose resilience and will not be able to manage and harness adversities. According to an article published in the Harvard Business Review by Annie McKee titled Happiness Traps, McKee states that numerous studies show that close to two-thirds of employees in the United States are bored, detached, or jaded and ready to sabotage plans, projects, and other people. She writes about one of her patients in a study regarding workplace happiness, Sharon, who was a two-year employee that was burnt out and hated her job because of adversities at work. She quoted Sharon saying that, quote, striving was a habit. After getting to know her patient, she realized she was a very disgruntled individual, but it may have been because of a dismissal of employee engagement, which led to her current state. McKee discusses three various traps, the ambition trap, the overwork trap, and the should trap. The ambition trap is a drive to achieve goals and further our careers uh, pushes us to be and do our best. But when ambition is coupled with hyper-competitiveness and a single-minded focus on winning, we get into trouble. We become blind to the impact of our actions on ourselves and others. Relationships are damaged and collaboration suffers. We start chasing goals for the sake of hitting targets and work begins to lose its meaning. McKee discusses overwork trap by stating, some of us react to the very real pressures of the always on 21st century workplace by spending every waking moment working or thinking about work. We don't have time for our friends, exercise, healthy food or sleep. We don't play with our children or even listen to them. We don't stay home when we're sick. We don't take the time to get to know people at work or put ourselves in their shoes before we jump to conclusions. Overwork sucks us into a negative spiral. More work causes more stress. Increased stress causes our brains to slow down and compromises our emotional intelligence. Less creativity and poor people skills harm our ability to get things done. And finally, McKee discusses the should trap by stating that, quote, too many of our workplace norms, what I call shoulds, 
force us to deny who we are and to make choices that hinder our potential and stifle our dreams. To be successful in most companies, people have to obey shoulds about how to dress, how to talk, whom to associate with, and sometimes even how to have a life outside of work. Mickey says, I've worked in organizations where a candidate scuffed shoes kill his chances of getting the job and where women must wear makeup and have certain, usually short, hairstyles. I've also been in companies where it's impossible for men to rise to leadership roles unless they are married to women. And at the Fortune 500, only 4% of senior leaders are female and fewer than 1% are people of color. These shocking statistics tell a tale of who, quote, should lead and, quote, who should follow. She goes on to discuss how this includes a workplace gender and racial discrimination. But because of that pressure to be as you should, this has a lasting impact overall as well. Resilience to adversity in the workplace or even personal traps like being overly ambitious, only doing what we should, uh, or overworking can change someone's ability to maintain self-awareness over time as they advance in their career. The optimum ideal is to develop a commitment to one's principal values and ethics, to advocate for their emotional intelligence often, and to hone their own qualities and adversities to improve their place in the business as a leader or team member. Question number 14 from chapter 14. In what ways can new employees build sources of power in an organization? There are varying types of power discussed in chapter 14 of management and integrated approach. Positional power is probably the source of power new and aspiring employees hope to attain in their career at a new firm. Positional power is that which comes from an individual's formal place within an organization structure. Gulati, Mayo, and Noria continue by saying that, quote, beyond being differential or respectful, many employees prefer to work with individuals who have a strong base of organizational power, sometimes called political clout. This political clout often leads to greater opportunities for visibility and the potential for upward mobility. In addition, a powerful boss can create an aura of status or respect for his or her subordinates, which can increase satisfaction and enhance motivation. In contrast, individuals who work for managers who are less being in a position of power includes benefits such as being a top executive and having the last say in major decisions solely for the fact that they are in that position. This would be the ideal position for that aspiring new employee to move up in power. Nonetheless, this type of power is hierarchical. The question asked here is, in what ways can new employees build sources of power within an organization? Personal power and relational power are two sources that would be tremendously important for them to consider. (laughs) 
personal power, power that is obtained from having personal attributes that others desire. This kind of power is an expertise gained from both formal education and on-the-job experiences. Establishing a track record is part of an individual's expertise. A track record refers to an individual's task and organizationally relevant experiences and accomplishments, including what he or she has done well or not so well. Having expertise and a great track record implies that an individual is reliable. Important decisions are often deferred to individuals with specific expertise. In this way, an individual's expertise can be leveraged as a source of power. Ferrazzi's consistent success enabled him to build a strong track record, which reinforced his expertise. Having a strong sense of self-awareness will allow this new employee to exercise their strengths to work well with their peers and supervisors. Personal power is a great way to put your best foot forward and allow management to recognize your potential to move up into a position of power. And finally, relational power, a power gained from the types of networks to which an individual belongs, the types of people in those networks, and the strength of the relationships within the networks. Networking is a very strong tool for moving up in your career. Not only does this involve making new connections, it means sharing a similar interest with colleagues, which may turn into referrals and references that could materialize into job prospects and opportunities. The idea is to be seen and heard, to create some sense of visibility and relevance by using relationability, relatability, networking, demonstrating your expertise, effort, attractiveness, and legitimacy through your work. Question number 15 from chapter 15. When making decisions that are constrained by time or information, what can managers do to ensure a better outcome? What are the potential dangers of satisficing? When time is not on a manager's side and they lack critical information to make the right decisions, it is not unusual for that manager to use rational decision-making. Gulati, Mayo, and Noria describe rational decision-making on page 384. Early research on decision-making focused on ways in which individuals seek to maximize an outcome or achieve a personal benefit. Researchers believed that individuals would often make decisions based on a rational thought process that optimized self-interest. This was called the theory of rational choice. It was developed from the work of mathematicians, statisticians, and economists, including John von Neumann and Oscar Morgenstern. In their seminal work, and the first book on game theory, Theory of Games and Economic Behavior, Von Neumann and Morgenstern explored the role that utility or payoff plays in decision making, arguing that when individuals are confronted with a choice, they try to make the best possible decision and the one that maximizes their expected utility. Although this kind of decision making can be useful from time to time, it is not the best way to make determinations. There is great potential to overlook possible opportunities because their framework is limited. 
In reference to Table 15.2, Intuitive versus Reading Systems and Moral Judgments, it's also important that the decisions be based on reasoning and not intuition. While reasoning is slow and effortful, intentional and rotational, context independent, and a process that can be conducted by any individual or machine, intuition is fast and effortless, a process that is unintentional and automatic. It is context dependent and depends on an individual. In addition, if decisions are made by satisficing, which is an act of choosing a solution that is just good enough, this would be a haphazard approach to problem solving and decision making. By choosing something that is just good enough, this implies a lack of effort on the part of the firm or business or decision makers in, in general. Rational decision-making and reasoning are done with intention and careful consideration, even if time is limited. If you have time to make good decisions and get all the research done, great. But if not, there are options. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Please have a safe and productive week. Apply your new business concept as you view the world and join me here again next week. Until next time, have a great night.